Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Sichan Island, known as Mouse Island, is an islet in the Gulf of Antalya. It's got the highest number of seagulls in Antalya. With your Scottish heritage, Dave, you, have you ever taken a boat out to Bass Rock in the North Sea? No, I haven't. But you know what I'm talking yes. about, right? Yeah. yeah. I did it once when I was a kid. Really? Got terribly sick in the little boat oh. on the way over, so I couldn't enjoy the puffins. To the, I think it's puffins, or is it just seagulls on Bass Rock? I don't know. I should know, because I'm the one who's been there. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago. I've got a feeling it's puffins. Anyway, the whole rock is covered with there, and there's a distinct word, a word isn't there, for... Puffin excrement. Is there? Uh, yeah, or bird excrement that collects on rocks. Guano? <sighs> no idea. Will you talk about the bike race for okay. a second? I'm just going to look it up. There we go. Mouse Island. Can't see many seagulls on it at the moment, though. So it's a bit of a bold claim. Or I guess they were saying in Antalya, maybe there's just not many seagulls in Antalya. Guano from the Spanish Quechua, Guano is the accumulated excrement of seabirds and bats. As a manure, guano is a highly effective fertiliser due to its exceptionally high content of nitrogen, phosphate and potassium. Hmm. There we go. Riders all over the place now as Lonardi looks around. He's boxed in. Lonardi looking for space. Uh, the Eolo Cometa man hitting the front now. On the wheels, looking for Apis and Phoenix, And he's not there. And in the end... <laughs> to say, I do not know who has won that bike race, and Magenta Jersey indeed is not the Gazprom Rusvelo rider, I don't think, so we're just going to have to wait and see if we can get a better view of that, the cameras didn't give us too much help there, but whoever that rider was, he got it right. That went wrong, the commentary yesterday, at the uh, Tour of Antalya, is it, I mean... It's badly your, wrong. It's not your fault, though, is well, it? Well, yeah, it's no one else's fault. Well, I mean, it was impossible. He needs to win more so we know who he is. Well, I've seen him race before, actually, Dushan Rajevic, the Tour of Lankawi a couple of years ago when he was riding for a different team. He was with the Delco Marseille team that doesn't exist anymore. I think he was with them anyway. Um, so I have seen him race before, but I had no idea he could sprint like that. It was a very good sprint. It was a very good sprint. Yeah. <laughs> she was so but, strong. But it's it's just hard when you, they're all young riders and from smaller teams, and there's not much racing going on, so you don't actually see them perform. Yeah, the coverage wasn't great, was it? No, the helicopter's the highest helicopter ever known <laughs> bike racing. <laughs> and to be honest, the race was um, on really race yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. You just chalk yesterday off as a bad. It was one of our an apple. Worst ever days commentating. Yeah, I think it was. It really was. You, you know when you start to talk about puffing excrement that yeah, there's not much happening that in the race. Literally yeah. a low point yeah. in our 
commentary yeah. career. But neither being able to say the name of the team with any conviction and definitely not the name of the rider when they crossed no. the line was a genuine having a vague noble. idea might be a national champion. Yeah, well, you picked that up, the bands. The yeah. yeah, yeah, that was quite a But even that's not, he's only got the bands on his chest, not in his back. Yeah. So you can't even see it from the shots. Yeah, it's a bit of a muted... So He's the national champion of Serbia, isn't he, Dusan Radic? Yeah. Anyway, he now leads the race. It's now the morning of stage three. Mm-hmm. What have you been up to this morning? Because it's kind of midday now, isn't it? Uh, I had quite a lazy morning, actually. I kept meaning to do things. And I didn't. I just scrolled the internet, read some news articles. Oh, really? And had a late breakfast. Yeah, because of the time difference in Turkey. Yeah. Western Europe isn't awake. Is it so? Exactly. If you had to talk to people in Spain or in the UK, there was it's like a kind a of mini jet lag, tiny jet lag for yeah. them, isn't it? Three hours. So still waking up, kind of trying to keep on, you know, drone a time, which is yeah. quite nice because it means it forces you to stay in bed till nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's happy days. Uh, I picked up one of the hotel bikes. Mm. Found a good one actually. I yeah. could adjust the saddle, Very nice. but. It had two floors. It had it had quite a squishy padded saddle thing. Mm. It's one of those step through bikes, you know. Yeah. Which I'm increasingly becoming quite fond of the idea of getting a step through bike because it's quite, it's it's quite easy, an effort slinging your leg over yeah. a kind of full proper Especially bike. Especially when you're wearing fitted, non stretched jeans. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and I and I rode right the way across Antalya to the other side. Well, not right the way across, but to the other side of it really, and uh, to go and get breakfast in a little place, and then to go and get some snacks that um a family member had ordered from turkey i had a great time except for when i got chased by a pack of wild dogs <laughs> on my mm. bike you know that you know where we we stopped we walked back from the finish line yesterday david you know where i stopped and bought some chestnuts yeah that was beautiful right there. there um there was no i was off on my bike really quite early this morning mm. beautiful morning absolutely bright sunshine and not too cold either and i was off on my shopping bike and i started kind of there's a the completely kind of a clear path through that park and it was slightly downhill. So I was picking up some speed, let me tell you. And I suddenly saw this um, stray dog come bounding towards me. And I thought, mm. oh, hang on, that doesn't look quite as friendly as I've been accustomed yeah. to from the, the, from the Turkish stray dogs. And he started barking and he, that, he was straight on to me, coming towards me, barking, snarling. And because he did that, all his mates got involved as well. And within seconds, I had six or seven dogs surrounding me on the bike. That's not good. And I was screaming abuse at them and trying to occasionally kick a, kick a leg at them mm. and all this sort of thing. One of them, the lead dog, by now was kind of like, because I wasn't letting up. I was trying to ride away from them, which was a mistake. They were much faster than me. <laughs> but one of them was kind of like right on my front wheel. And it was then that about 20 seconds into this attack, that I realised they're not going to bite me. They would have done so mm. by now. They are fixated with the movement of the bike. Mm. And the lead dog was just staring, his nose, as we were running along, his nose was just a couple of inches from the spokes of my front wheel. Mm. And he seemed mesmerised by maybe the sheer speed with which mm, I was riding. The, the power. They're bolting in full yeah. flight. They gave up. One by one, they, they gave this up. This kind of ruins your story. Your kind of, what, did you, what you wanted to talk about yesterday about Turkish stray animals. It flies in the face of some of the evidence I'd accrued. Um, however, I'm going to stick to what I feel about it. Mm. <clears throat> I'm not a, I'm not a dog person, really, as I think we've discussed in the yeah, past. I think dogs know that, yeah, as well as our listeners. Yeah, um, got a couple of cats at home, which I'm 
ambivalent about, to be honest, David. As they are to you. As they are to, well, exactly. I'm just reciprocating their ambivalence. Um, but here's the thing in, in, I mean, I've been to Istanbul many times and now visiting this city, uh, particularly here, there are tens of thousands of stray cats. Uh, everywhere you look, there are, are tiny little, and they're all quite little and they're all quite healthy looking. Um, but they are everywhere. And there's lots of stray dogs as well, um, asleep in the sun. Nobody sleeps like a Turkish stray dog. They sleep so deeply. Um, and that, here's the thing I've noticed both on my previous visits to Istanbul and now here to Antalya that these stray animals, these wild animals, um, who live in cities are the beneficiaries or on the receiving end of a huge amount of respect from the population. They're fed. They are more than tolerated. They are uh, kind of integrated into the human population. Domesticated, aren't they? <clears throat> yeah, but they belong to no one. They belong to the city. They belong yeah, to the that's... people. They, you know, they belong to themselves. They belong. And there are, you will see everywhere, you'll see little homemade hutches that have been put out in the parks um, for the kittens and for the cats to use, especially in the winter, you know, presumably to kind of like um, keep the frost off them as they mm. sleep at night. And um, And the dogs are fed. And the cats are fed by people, and uh, it's a it's a wholly different attitude towards stray animals from what I've seen in any other culture actually. And I don't know if it's a uniquely Turkish thing, but it's really kind of rather beautiful. I it think, is about, about the relationship between animals and humans in Turkey. Yeah, I hadn't noticed until you started bringing it up and realised just the number of cats and how healthy they looked, and the little random trays of food out. And as you say, they just. They all look very content and there's nobody showing any bad blood towards them. Well, as you say, the opposite, actually. Yes. It's, kind of, it's mad. Yeah. It's, it's, it's and, lovely. And can I recommend a film that was made a couple of years ago called Stray? And it's a really uh, unusual film. And I thought it was absolutely captivating. It was made by some Turkish filmmakers set in Istanbul. And it's a document. It's, it's, it's real life. They follow this particular dog. I don't know technically how they did it. It's quite extraordinary, actually. They literally follow a stray dog through its life over weeks and weeks and months and months. And you go on this journey with this stray dog, picking up the same signals as the dog is picking up eventually, reacting to, you know, fascinated by where the dog goes, what motivates the dog to, to take that path or make that decision or go there as it drifts from um, being at some point part of a human pack. So it's the first sort of time you meet the dog. It is part, very much part of a, a human group of uh, street kids, you know, rough sleeping uh, kids in Istanbul uh, who are, have a tough, really, really tough life. You can tell um, they are, they use glue, they sniff glue and they do all sorts of, you know, just to get by really on the street and they, they sleep periodically, they get moved on, but they sleep in kind of abandoned and tumble down. Psh- sheds and buildings and things like this and the, the stray dog who we follow is part of their pack at the beginning mm. and then i can't quite remember it's a couple of years since this film came out and, and you know i can't quite remember but they get separated for some reason and then we follow this dog into he kind of drifts from from then dog packs of other dogs who he kind of like integrates into their company and hangs out with them for a bit but then he's off doing his own thing and he'll do he'll go to another part of the city and spend weeks there 
and then come back to where the kids and suddenly there's this amazing scene where after a, a lot of time has passed in this dog's life and this is all true by the way this, just to stress this is not a made up story this is this is real real life the dog stumbles across this group of kids again and there's this wonderfully uh, moving reunion between these <clears throat> if you like for want of a better word human strays mm. and this stray dog <laughs> and it's a really lyrical kind of thoughtful beautiful film uh which addresses a kind of really quite deep issues i think about what about this what existence is what our time our life on the you know our time our allotted time on this planet primarily is about seeking warmth shelter and sustenance and then company mm. you know in the various different ways and purpose and it's it, it's a very very profound and quite extraordinary film and i recommend it wholeheartedly and it's amazing to come here you know a couple of years on and actually get a with that background that film is very much in my thoughts when i see these stray dogs mm. fast asleep in the sunshine amazing and it's what yeah do watch it it's in so it's in turkish is it but not many words. Well, there aren't any words. It's yeah. a dog. Yeah, it's a dog. I think the kid, you know, the kids talk and yeah, I yeah. think their words are subtitled. And words. Like I, I, actually, like I mean, I don't know how the film was made because I, I do wonder slightly about here, there's a slight negative. I do slightly wonder about the ethics of having filmed these kids mm. and how much uh, agency they had over the way they were presented in mm. the film. Don't know about that. I mean, I've got a slight question mark about that. Yeah. But um, yeah, the rest of it uh, is a, rem- a remarkable bit of filmmaking. Mm. Anyway, um, well, talking coming, I forgot to mention what one thing did happen to me at breakfast today was oh, um, yeah. uh, I was joined by the gorilla. That's just incredible. Yeah, just came down there, and Andre Greipel came and sat down. And How cool is that? I haven't seen him in years. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, were you, so was he someone you knew pretty well back? Not in really, just kind of similar generation yeah. and kind of always crossing paths, but I don't think ever socialised outside the peloton. And when yeah. I say socialize, I mean talked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was one of those sort of old guards seeing each other. Kind of, it was nice. Yeah. And well, he's only a few months into retirement, isn't he? I know. He, so. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, Did you establish? Because I, perhaps mistakenly, thought he was actually the director sportif of the Zauerland team. He's just helping them out. So it's just a consultancy thing. Yeah, basically, yeah. it's a team that comes from that's uh, nearby to him uh, yep. in Germany. And so he's just kind of advising them and helping them out a bit in his side when it's kind of pastime. So yeah, keeping himself busy. Yep. Yeah. Is he? Is he? Conversation. Well, I tell you what. Did you fix up an interview with? Him? I did fix up an interview with him. So potentially in this very podcast, we might even have a. Yeah, an we'll, t- we'll talk to him this evening. We're back at the hotel. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. There you go. Um, it's worth saying what we've just done. So we we got in a minibus when we um eleven thirty. We left the hotel. Mm. You put your bike in the back of the minibus. Yeah. Got transferred to the finish line of stage three today. And we drove off with the um, uh, constituent members of the Turkish Anti-Doping Authority. Oh, is that who they were? That's who they were. Oh, very good. Mehmet um, and his colleagues. And um, we have come to the most remarkable place I've been to for a long time. Yeah, it's magical. Termesa. Yeah. Termesos, I should say. So we're a thousand meters. That's what they said. Um, from sea level, which is where our hotel was. And... It's up into the Taurus mountains. mountains. It's a dead end up here. It's a beautiful valley. There's snow at the side of the roads. The sun's blazing. And we're sitting amongst ruins of a, an ancient castle or temple, maybe both, 
but the, the rocks that are strewn everywhere, there's little semblance of what it was apart from things like the renovated gateway and there's the pillars slightly buried under the ground. But a bit further down from here, we think five minute walk is this incredible amphitheater. Yeah. It's, it's just such, I guess it was a very safe place to have a city because it's surrounded by mountains. I mean, it's literally at the end of a valley and there's still the mountains got up either side of it. But yeah, it wouldn't have been easy to get up here back in the day. Well, one of one of the first references to this the, the, the existence of Tomesos comes in the story and the legend of Alexander the Great, who noted um, Tomesos was one of the most impregnable places he'd ever come across. Huh. I mean, it, it dates it dates right back to when this part of the um, Asia Minor, as we were discussing, Anatolia, was known as Pisidia, and um, and it was founded by some people called the Solims. I mean, this is. This is seriously old. This predates the Romans. This is part of the you know, ancient Greek occupation of hmm. of this part of Turkey. And uh, as you say, it's just an absolute jumble of carved huge stones interspersed, you know, just spread out uh, amongst all these uh, indigenous trees that are growing up here. And it's a really beautiful place, isn't it? Mm. This is a temple, actually, This the, the ruins that we're sitting on there. Temple to Athena. Big old blocks of stone. Big old blocks of stone. Mm. Um, and it's a beautiful climb to get up here that the riders are going to... Yeah, it's stunning. Do? It's hard. I didn't expect it to be that hard. No, we've been sold a bit of a pup by yeah. the Turkish well, college. Well, it's not co- colleague. I was like, oh, blowing it. Yeah, who's playing hard. it down to me yesterday? He said, stage, it's not that hard. He said it's about 5k, about 5%. <laughs> I'm not sure that's true, is it? No, it's got 10, 10 plus percent. Yeah. So, and even up to the finish, I think it's 10%. It's yeah. final 500 metres. Problem is, there aren't really pure climbers here, are there, that we know no, of? No, it's going to be carnage. It's going to be like it's gonna be commentary hell, isn't it? It's really, <laughs> really difficult. It's got a bit, it's a bit slower. Might have time if the helicopter's not at 25,000 feet. Yeah, but imagine making a mistake. I mean, at least yesterday I made the mistake really fast. Yeah. There's oh, yeah. a potential for me to make a 20-minute long mistake today. If the camera shot. Like imagine if some guy attacks with three Ks to go. And we never, and goes get, clear. never get an overhead. And we never get shot. an overhead. We don't know his docile number. We don't can't recognise mm. him. Imagine that. You're just going to be quiet for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you, Ned. You got this one. <laughs> and then after the stage? Mm. Going to ride ride back to the hotel. I love and the way you didn't ride here. I know. It's, That's what we used to do. Always, oh, summit finished. We'll ride. What's yeah, happened to you? I'm not very fit. But that's the, the whole point of my challenge, which we can talk about afterwards. I meant to do that at the beginning. Well, do it now. Well, <clears throat> as of tomorrow, I don't know what's going on, Monday, I start this, we're going to launch, I think, tomorrow evening, the Time Traveller Challenge. Sunday, chapter evening. Three. Sunday evening. Sunday evening. Yep. Um, we'll put it in the show notes, so go and click on it. And it's this idea where I was getting sick of being unfit and not finding motivation to, to get fit and to ride my bike. And I realised... That I kind of, even though I'm 45, I need to set a, a challenge for myself. And my TT bike kind of sits there haunting me at home in my home office. And I've got another one at the Chapter 3 studio. And I thought, if I don't get back on that soon, I'll never get back on it. And I thought, I was, why don't I try and just do a 10-mile time trial again? Just for just for fun. Yeah. Like, like I used to do it for fun. Yeah. But then I thought, oh my God, that's actually going to be quite a challenge. Because... I haven't done a time trial in seven years, eight years. I have no idea what's going on with training, nutrition, with even bike technology these days. And so I thought, actually, this could be good fun if I spent three months 
kind of doing baseline testing and then finding out about the new equipment, new training methods, nutrition, and go on a kind of a journey of self-discovery myself. So I thought I'd actually share it with people and kind of turn it into this three-month masterclass and get people to join in and set themselves this goal. And we're going to do it May the 14th is try and kind of set out PB uh, over 20 minutes. We decided to do it 20 minutes because that seems a doable kind of time. And forget about the 10 mile. That's up to kind of, you could do it on any bike and you can do it on Zwift if you like, or on a home trainer or on a mountain bike. Doesn't really matter. Yep. But then spend these next three months kind of working towards that to, to getting, so May the 14th, you can set your own 20 minute PB and use all the training and stuff I'm learning and the nutrition advice and the, and kind of set up interviews with people from Steve Smith, the boss of Castelli, about the technology of speed suits, with Rob Jatillis, the owner of Factor Bikes, about his new bike, and kind of said building one of those. People from Form Nutrition, kind of be helping with nutrition. My coach, Dr. Marty Castello, who coaches Pigcock, and and then and just and also work with Christian Vanderveld, who set up this thing called the Breakaway app, where it's it, it's a kind of data accumulator. But in a really elegant and simple way. So take all your, your Garmin, your, um, I think it's your Strava as well and Peloton info and then extracts it, extracts it and sets your BPBs and different things you can compare with friends. So we can set on there and then monitor each other's progress. And me and Christian's going to do it as well. So it's kind of turned into a little battle royale between me and Christian, which at the moment I'm about five years behind him. So I'm going to have to do quite a lot of work, but that'll be fun anyway. But that's, that's the whole idea. So we want well, as many people as possible to sign up. May the 14th is D-Day, right? May that's... the 14th is D-Day. Okay. So I will be at the Giro commentating World Feed with Matt Stevens oh, yeah. and we'll both bring our Bromptons. And you can do it. Well, uh, depending on obviously, you know, where we are, but one way or another, we'll just have to get up a bit early maybe. Yeah. And do like knock out 10 miles on the Bromptons. That'd be brilliant. And that's what, that's what you can do on any bikes and do it anywhere and just yeah. kind of see. Matt's got free, so fit still, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So yes, as of next week, kind of you sign up to the newsletter, we'll be getting kind of stuff. A lot of it won't be on our main channels, so that's why you have to sign up. And I'm looking at even creating a Slack channel and kind of then creating videos and sharing training programs and, and doing blogs and all sorts of things and pods with different people as well, I think. So interview Steve Smith and Rob. So it just turns into this kind of, and it's also, well, you know me, if I don't set that sort of social contract, I you won't do it. it. I need to kind of, I need to make it public. It. Otherwise I'll never do this. <laughs> but I did it on my own. Because I have to set this challenge and make it known to everybody. So, the, so, so your, back out. your training regime hasn't kicked in. It doesn't start till Monday. It doesn't start till Monday. But then it really starts. Then it starts. I'm going to do the baseline testing next week. Yeah. So in the first week is us explaining what it's all about. Then on week two, every week we're going to do a different theme. Right. Then on week two, we're going to explain the baseline testing and how you do that. Right. So I'll do that next week with, with right. Dr. Marty at his, at his studio, at his, um, gym. And we'll film it because it's going to be, it's going to be really bad. <laughs> I tried to do a test last week with Lachlan Morton. I was out camping with him we on yeah. a mountain yeah. and it just turned into an absolute disaster. Yeah. Because it was way too hard. I videoed that whole thing as well as did he. <laughs> so it's kind of that kind of going back to roots and, and people sharing the journey and trying it for themselves. So today's ride, downhill. Downhill. <laughs> today's downhill 17-kilometer ride. <laughs> That's got to be like 35Ks, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it says actually, yeah, I think, it, I think it's 17 kilometers to the outskirts of... Yeah, it says Italia, halfway, yeah. And then yeah. you've got another, yeah. another 10 or 15K through town. <laughs> There's dual carriageways. Oh, um, and you're going to be fully kitted out in Lycra and all that. All oh. expensive. Oh, that's going to be good. <laughs> that's going to be good to watch. Yeah. Well, update us, you know, when we get to the other side of this commentary. Yeah. Um, we should probably leave these ruins and see if we can get a cup of tea down. That's a good idea. A cup of chai.
I'm obsessed with chai, David. I know you are. I'm really You need to take boxes back with you. Yeah, but no, but that's the point. I wouldn't drink it back in London. Okay. I'd get, sit there think, with a little glass just in feel... Lewisham thinking, what am I, who am I kidding? Yeah. Actually, that's not true. That isn't true because for park, years I've been going to um, what I call scruffies. And it's actually not called scruffies, but there's two, there's two Turkish um, ref- restaurants on the high street in Lewisham. One's called um, Levante Pide and one's called Levante. And um, one is quite plush and quite new and is relatively recently on the scene. The other one's been there for decades. And that's it's quite scruffy. Mm. But the food is way better in Levante. And I call it scruffy Levantes. And I've been going there for 10 years or more. I've written, I wrote, basically I wrote most of on the road bike in scruffies. Huh. Um, every single day I'd go, I'd go for a run in the morning, go for lunch. I'd have a chicken sheesh and chai. Hmm. So that's not true that I haven't drunk Turkish tea regularly at the yeah. with the, as you say elegant glasses mm-hmm. but I consider sitting in Levantes to be basically on Turkish soil yeah that makes sense to cross a border an international border so when you the, c- c- step over the threshold of their premises so you've got the setting yeah but no way am I sitting at home drinking chai well what about if you did a little Turkish corner at home we <laughs> <laughs> chai drinking brilliant <laughs> yeah a big kind of picture of the Golden Gate Bridge over the Bosphorus, yeah. like that, and a Turkish carpet. Oh, yeah, fresh yeah. one. This Russian dude here, I've seen him so. He's a really suspicious character. <laughs> it's, like Con- it's like Connie Chev. <laughs> Connie Chev gone rogue. Touch of Tinkoff. Um, oh, is this? Are you recording? I'm recording. Oh, yeah. that was an excellent start. I thought we're just yeah. obviously we're in the hotel lobby, uh, back at the hotel after the race, and we're just being rude about other hotel guests, <laughs> including he's quite he's got quite a lot of oily oil in his hair, hasn't he? And he his shirt is unbuttoned, almost down Tuck, to his yeah, almost a, down to his a, navel. It's like Uchikov, the Uchikov <laughs> look. We got a we got a guest with us, Ned. Yeah, I know. Is the guy you mentioned that you were speaking to at breakfast yeah. this morning? Yeah. This is a this is amazing for us because we never have guests, do we? No, we never have guests. But well, occasionally, occasionally. But this is uh this takes it to a whole different level. Yeah. Of guests because Andre Greipel has joined us. Hello, Andre. Hello, and uh, <laughs> nice nice to be here. Uh, uh, you say that now. Um, with a nice uh, upper row, uh, just <laughs> in the lobby. And, yeah, it's a bit uh, noisy, isn't it? Yeah, it was nice to see actually some uh, some familiar faces. Let's say, uh, as yeah, it's uh, it's a nice race, nice region here. But yeah, with with uh, of course uh, a lot of young teams and uh, yeah, small teams who yeah. get their chances here. Yeah, explain because we uh, saw Andre at, at breakfast this morning and came and sat down because like him, I'm kind of don't really know anybody here. And it was so nice to have Andre sit down. I was like, somebody I know. <laughs> and, uh, and it's quite weird because obviously Andre just stopped racing last year. And for me, 2014 was my last year. Yeah. And yet, and yet still is so familiar. Yeah. When you have somebody from that time that you see, there's this weird kind of brotherhood of the old pros. Well, how, it, many years, how many years did you two, when did you, what was your first year, Andre? I turned pro uh, 2005. Six, five. So yeah. I was around ten also years, a while. Almost yeah. 10 years yeah. racing in the same... Crossing paths. Same races because your, your big race every year was the Tour de France. Yeah. Your big race every year was the Tour de France, right? Most years. 
when you when you got your when you got your place there. Well, there were a lot of uh, other races as well, but uh, yeah, know, I, I well, think we were a lot of times on the same program. We were a lot of, a lot of times. Yeah, we sort of followed that same kind of trajectory. I think we both shifted a little bit towards the end. Uh, what was your career tally of pro wins in the end? I know. Oh, what you know? That. Well, I think I know. Yeah. Can I give it a go? You tell yeah. me if I'm wrong. I think it was 158. I don't care about numbers, actually. Um, oh. There are pro cycling stats has, I think, the official number. Are you telling me you don't know? I didn't count, but okay. uh, I just also looked. I saw oh, the numbers. It's hard to keep count. Uh, no, no, no. I have no idea. There I are also other yeah. other uh, uh, websites where they yeah. say I have uh, like 164 or something, but I d- yeah. I have no idea. Uh, he's probably right. Yeah. Uh, unlike unlike yeah. us to get a fact wrong. Um, yeah. But it's a, and just to put that in perspective, because in pro cycling terms, this is for our, our listeners. You cross the hundred barrier. It's it's a such a rarity, and I think it's going to become even rarer now in kind of modern cycling to hit those those volumes because everybody's becoming so specialized and they actually race less and andre and and my generation i think were the last of that generation where you would do such a volume of racing and be so and be allowed to be so specialized and the racing did allow for sprinters like andre to to excel whereas now it's quite difficult to find a sprinter's race, isn't it? Even all the Grand Tours, they're ripping them up. Yeah, everybody wants to have his, uh, yeah, ha- the hardest races uh, around the globe, I would say. Plus, um, just the, really the top riders, they are so close together and everybody was training well. So, um, like all the sprinters, at the moment, I don't see a really one sprinter who is really at the top level. Who really gonna gonna kick asses every every day? Mm. So um, yeah, you need to be yeah lucky, mm. I would say. Plus, you need to also have the the good support uh, and yeah the the experience of the riders who support you throughout the sprints. And it's not just sp- sprinting; it's also uphill. You see, uh, like ten years ago, you saw maybe two three guys riding up a hill. Now you see like twenty guys, and uh, yeah. Even then, now they are pushing more numbers than uh, they did 10 years ago. So it's quite interesting, all this uh, training scientific Mm. thing, like the nutrition, everything what is involved in uh, performance is uh, just, uh, yeah, Mm. quite on the edge, I would say now. This is is something that we mentioned briefly uh, at breakfast, um, because I'm going into my three-month kind of time trial, time traveler challenge, and realizing just dipping my toe in, trying to learn again, or see... How much has changed in since 2014, and not only the generational shift, but the training, the kind of the the open source ability to kind of know what's right, what's wrong, the nutrition. Now, after they were still experimenting, kind of around 2014, but didn't really know what worked, what didn't. It does appear that everybody's starting to understand what works, and it's becoming very accessible. Whereas before, you had to be in the biggest team to know. Now, many teams know. And tell us a little about a bit about the little team that's kind of your local team that you're working with here because I find that quite interesting you've gone straight out and straight into advising a young team Zauerland the Zauerland team yeah exactly I mean they're they're based around the corner and uh, the owners of the team they they 
actually they they make all the insurances of the teams mostly. Ah. They are called S SVL oh, Sports. Well, I know those guys. Yeah. And uh yeah, they they have I think a really really good knowledge about getting money from from somewhere. <laughs> uh, insurance. Yeah. Jesus, uh, like our Russian friend over there <laughs> in the lot. Yeah, he's insurance. <laughs> he knows how to get money. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh yeah. I'm, I just want to want to help a little bit with the experience. Yeah, I have uh, the young guys to really don't just look numbers, also just uh, yeah enjoy cycling and yeah. Um, yeah trying to make the best out of this small period they have. And uh, Tour of Antalya is already quite a big race for them, so uh, they did, they are doing quite well. Mm. Yeah, your guy did good today. We were very complimentary about him in the in the commentary. Mm. Jon Knolle. Um, he's huge. So there were two guys up the road. We need to talk about the race. We said we'd yeah, talk we, about the race. Do you remember? We yeah. had a distinct plan yeah. about how we were going to do this. And mm. once again, we just tore it up yeah. and started talking about other stuff. But yeah. let's get, just talk about the race that we, because we haven't told the listeners what's happened in no. the race. No. Well, is, one of the most important things was the, the, the counterattack of Jon Knolle. Because the two guys in the breakaway, I think there are only two at that point. Um, they'd been brought back to about 20 seconds. And your guy Knolle just blasted across the gap, as far as I remember, got to the front, and instead of sitting on the back, he he, he sat on the front. He got he started working straight away. He was that fresh. I was hugely impressed with him. He looked really, really strong. Yeah, he had a bit of uh, trouble with the uh, corona, uh, and um, yeah, in the training camp he got corona, so right. he had to be out of training for a week, and he's still suffering from it. And uh, yeah, he he did quite well also last year. Um, the Chrono de Nation, I think. Oh yeah, we saw yeah. that. Yeah, we were talking about that. He got he third, third, third yeah. or fourth, I think. Yeah. Third, I think. Third, yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 So yeah, he has a big engine, and uh, yeah. now he's starting to get in his uh, normal shape. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very good. Yeah. And so, then, so gone to describe the race. So yeah. it's the shortest stage of the race, 110 kilometers. Yeah. Um, it was actually quite fast today. The two yeah. riders got off the front. Yeah. Then they got closed down kind of before the climb, because yep. it was a fairly flat stage, went out, came back through through Antalya, then went back up to Teramesos. 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 I know that was up there. Teramesos. Um, I'm terrible with names. I forget them. <laughs> so Teramesos. And that climb was amazing because it was the first, only big climb in the race. It, it's not that hard. But it's bloody hard if you race properly. And it's really interesting seeing a peloton like this race it because there's no big horsepower. There's no consolidated team that could control the race, yep. that could take it to pieces. So it was attrition the first half. Um, and actually, it was uh, the sun gods that were kind of racing hard at the beginning. Yep. And then about halfway through, it changed. Well, it became, towards the end, the final couple of kilometers, it became a duel between uh, the Uno X team, who just had a win in Oman with uh, another, yeah, Danish another rider Danish guy. on a, on a, a difficult yeah. stage in Oman. And then they, they just took the bull by the horns on this climb, had three riders on the front, did a bit of damage to this group, but it was still quite a big group. And the other team who had a lot of numbers in that group were the Italians with the silly new name, Drone Hopper. Drone Hopper. Drone, oh, it's basically Androni. Androni yeah. Giacattoli, okay? Yeah. We'll have to say Drone Hopper. And now they've got a black kit. Yeah. Like with red, but it's totally confusing. I didn't know who the hell anyone was. It's so difficult to commentate on this bike race. Anyway. 120 sponsors on the jersey. Right? Exactly, yeah. But the <laughs> drone operator, about three or four guys there, including um, Eduardo Sepulveda uh, and some, you know, some real good climbing talents there. And they kept attacking and attacking because they didn't want to take 
Danish and the Norwegian guys who all look exactly the same. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. They're all six foot two. They're all kind of blonde skinny. and, like, you know, skinny. At least in, in your day and in Andre's day, he's one of the most identifiable yeah, Andre, figures. Easy Commentator's identify. dream. Well, there's Greipel. That's easy. <laughs> Give me a hard one. <laughs> but all the Uno X guys were just identical and impossible to tell apart. So we basically plucked every single name out of the start list and got them all wrong. <laughs> Because in the end, it was a brilliant bit of teamwork. They shut down all the moves from Drone Hopper. They couldn't get past them. And the other guy, the one guy led out the other guy, and it was Jakob Hüger. Madsen. <laughs> so, so I, I, Madsen Hüger. Hüger Madsen. But then I checked after it, and his name is, he, he's not, it's one of those Danish names you have to check. Is it Cecilia Utrup Ludwig yeah, or Ludwig? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, Magnus Court Nielsen. Yeah. We got that wrong, didn't we, Nicole for about Petrasi three years until, it, yeah, yeah. until we clarified yeah. it's Magnus Court. This guy is Jakob and he, don't forget the Madsen bit. Don't, we don't say okay. the Madsen bit. All but right. listen, it was his first UCI race. And um, he took a win. And he's going to win the overall as well. Unless anything crazy happens tomorrow. So that's pretty impressive, isn't it? I think it's uh, also quite interesting the way uh, Unix started this project around four or five years ago uh, with a really small team, like amateur team. They really set up a nice training base there in uh, Norway. Plus, they also have a service course in, in Belgium and they keep the whole team together in Belgium. And uh, you can see that they are really aware that there must, there must have happened something mm. in Norway. They are, they, they are all big engines and yeah. uh, mm. everybody just uh, went in, in the big teams, let's say. And uh, the way they were riding the last two years, mm. uh, even they were a small team, they were... Riding in the front of the yeah. Belgium races, like not got a head fault. They didn't care about what the big teams that were doing. They just uh, rode from the front, showed themselves, and uh, like this, they got the uh, yeah, the confidence mm. plus also the respect of the of the other teams, and uh, plus they put them the name on the market. Let's say, yeah, and uh, it's quite interesting, and I'm really happy that this project is uh, successful. It's, it's really interesting to see how it's your point how long it takes to build that culture and to be patient because I think even when I saw when the wild cards were announced yesterday, immediately the boss of units came out with a very humble response, and it was like it was really just good. you could see the solidarity of that team and just the the long term belief they have they're in no rush they're, you're always pressing pushing, but it seems that they've got a really healthy culture there. And watching them race, even in this race, you can see it. And uh, it was pretty cool today how they raced. Uh, it's also a very organic recruitment policy, isn't it? They're not taking, they're not spending a lot of money and getting so. You know, they're doing. Let's face it, they're doing the exact opposite, in some ways, to the Israel project that you were racing for. You know, last year where you've got superstars like Chris and Andre went there to instantly sort of buy the profile and get the you know big results and all that sort of thing. And um, you know, high risk policy really from the Israel team I don't know very different anyway I think it's uh, when you see like a project like UNOX at the moment uh, if I would be a young rider I would say okay that's a good team to yeah. develop yeah. Uh, and then you see uh, this Israel uh, Primatech project mm, yeah. with a lot of old riders but I have to say I was also part of it and I think Old riders are needed in a bunch. Uh, yeah, that yeah, you ha need to have the experience, mm. and uh, yeah, you need to also share this experience to young riders. 
plus they are still successful. You can still mm. see uh, uh, older riders around. Uh, Nibali is still doing okay. Valverde is quite Valverde good. Is, uh, still, is quite still good. around. It's okay. Um, <laughs> it's like the immortal. Cavendish. Yeah. Mark. It's quite good. Yeah. yeah, he's flying again. <laughs> um, but we, which is which is quite nice, and that also shows that one when you are professional and you really are fully behind that sport, yeah, you you can be successful, which is quite nice. Actually, that's a really good point. So I think that's what it is with because I said, and you probably know mostly when you get to the end of your career, it's not physical, it's psychological, and so I know from seeing Valverde for twenty years, if you like, and then knowing Mark as well since two thousand and five in the bike. They just bloody love it. They're completely different characters and different things, but they live for the sport in a way that's, I mean, it's, it's over the board, overboard, but it's because they love it so much. And even if when they get tired, and most people would have dropped out in that two-year dropout that Mark had, it's like he refused to give up because he loves it so much. And Valverde as well, he's had his kind of, his career and his different things, but ultimately, He loves it so much, he'll just keep doing it. And he's always done that. He doesn't see it as sacrifice or compromises. It's just that's his identity. And, and you know, hats off to them. They're rare, but it's, it's, it's really well, good to have them. What about you, Andre? I mean, is there, I, is, I know you're not full time with the Zauerlands team. You're, you're just an, an advisor or a consultant for them at the moment. Um, funnily enough, I had a late last night <laughs> telling David I have this strange, close relationship with Carsten. Um, Uh, Martin, Tony's dad. Ah, you know, yeah, oh, you yeah, must have yeah, met Tony's yeah, dad, yeah, I'm sure. sure. Um, and he he sends me messages whenever he's got news about Tony. <laughs> and he sent me a link in the middle of the night to a uh, little film that ARD or ZDF had made about um, Tony now in his new job since he retired, and he's working in a he's working as a sports teacher in a school, in a sports school. Hopefully he doesn't uh, teach those uh, students and uh, <laughs> the way they have to ride the bike because he wasn't the <laughs> the best handler, let's say. But uh, he hit the deck quite a lot, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was more Tony. It's more power than beauty. <laughs> but I think Tony, when when it comes back to the sport and the dedication about uh, being pro, yeah, I think he was for sure one of the most professional riders around. Yeah, but um, he, he stepped away from the elite sport, at least for now. He's doing something different, you know, working with kids, but in a school setting, not in a development team or anything. Um, what about you? Are you kind of how close are you going to stay, do you think, to, to, the, to the world tour, to the, to the, you know, not the world tour, but to the professional scene? Mm, let's say I, I had an office uh, to be a sport director, but I just refused it because I don't want to do things others think I could do. Uh, I just want to find out myself Brilliant. what what I want to do. And uh, for the moment, I really enjoy to, to ride my bike, go swimming, uh, doing a run. And uh, yeah, then I'm still working for Uvix, um, which is was a really high-tech uh, performance brand in cycling in the, let's say, eight, nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow they realized that uh, this professional sport is quite um, quite important in uh, the evolution of a brand. And um, yeah, they, they would like to come back into the world tour and I just try to help them because uh, I, I still had to have a good relationship with this company. And uh, yeah, I think it's also a pretty 
pretty German brand. Uh, everybody knows what that mm. means. So uh, <laughs> uh, they really they really stick to a plan, and uh, they. I'm also quite sure that uh, this plan going to be successful. Mm. Yeah, that's it. When you think back on your on your career, what what are your fondest years? What were the years that gave you the most satisfaction? That you enjoyed the most, I guess, and it, maybe not necessarily the ones when you were winning the biggest races. But well, to be honest, I I really took everything positive out of it every year. So no, uh, I believe you. Yeah, like in the beginning, I let's say I was in the wash machine uh, riding the pro races, uh, and uh, <laughs> or I called it also water skiing in the back of the peloton. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, I had the difficult year with Akea, but which was uh, also a super nice ex lifetime experience. And I would not uh, take that time away because it was for my for myself so important and also for my family. Um, and yeah, like even the last year was uh, not the, the year I planned because I thought, okay, once I'm old, I always can remember that I stopped 2020 but then the pandemic came and uh, I was not sure if race is going to continue so I signed up for well they gave me another two-year contract but I said be sure that uh, that it's going to be just one year so we knew before that it will be just one year and uh, it was also nice for me to 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 get that last year uh, and the experience I I got there I really Try to do the same like the young kids are doing now. Really look into the food and uh, all, doing all this stuff. But uh, I also realized that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I was kind of on the edge now, and uh, to have to make the decision to to stop because my head, like uh, David said, also that the head is really important at the moment to be a pro athlete, and uh, I wasn't a, a super pro athlete anymore. I was in, I was very lucky, I think last September to be in Nuremberg for the final stage. Well, I did the whole, I was on the whole race actually of the Deutschland Tour, which was, I think it was your last race in Germany, wasn't it? Your last race, or was it not? It was my last stage race. Yeah. Last stage race. Yeah. yeah. That's what interested me about that race. It was pouring with rain. My God, it was wet, wasn't it? Every day it was so cold as well but what interested me about that race is and i know I've, I've spoken to marcel kittel about this as well what do you have to do in germany to really ignite the fire to really turn that great nation with all its mountain ranges and its topography and its geography and its big cities and its huge economic power into a into a cycling superpower. I mean, I know I know we had the Ulrich years, and everybody knows the reason why that grew and then collapsed. But what what happens next, and will it ever be a really you know big cycling nation? Yeah. But that is exactly what Germany needs. We need somebody like uh, Jan Ulrich again to that that somebody can compete in the GC uh, in a Grand Tour. Or so it doesn't it, matter it how has many, to be the doesn't Tour. It doesn't matter yeah. how many Marcel Kittels and Andre Greipels win stages. That no. doesn't seem to punch no. through into, into the headlines. Yeah, but that, that's what we did for almost uh, seven, eight years. So we, yeah, the, Germans, yeah. the Germans got uh, like five, six stage wins mm. every Grand Tour. Or yeah. Exactly. Not, not Grand Tour, but in the Tour de France, which was... Mm. 
let's say the only race where it was uh, a broadcast uh, in in the in the first TV. Okay, Eurosport was or GCN is always on, but the, let's say the older uh, people they watch uh, the the first program, public and, television. Uh, yep, yep. And this is uh, what what uh, gets the recognition in uh, in, in Germany and. Uh, If we don't get somebody who is competitive in a Grand Tour or like the Tour de France, it's going to be difficult. Any signs that that rider is is coming? Like, do you see amongst it? Not really. I don't see not yet anyone who going to be able to <laughs> compete on that level like uh, Ulrich did. Yeah, mm. it's 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 quite. Uh, I was just speaking about it uh, a couple of months ago when Ulrich won the Tour de France or, or T-Mobile the year before with Bjarne Ries, Ulrich was second. It was like uh, Bayern Munich won the, yeah. when, won the yeah. Champions League. Like the full market was mm. full of people, like 100,000 people wow. just screaming at those riders. And yeah. uh, I don't think that this is uh, going to be going to happen. I hope it's going to happen uh, in the future, but it, mm. I, I don't see it at the moment. Mm. Takes a long time. Yeah. Mm. But you, another thing we spoke about when when were we speaking? I think when we were doing a podcast during the Giro d'Italia, we started to talk about riders' nicknames. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. The shark. What are the other ones? Oh, um, what's Nizzolo's nickname? Uh, the buffalo. The buffalo. 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 So uh, the dolphin. We, <laughs> With us, he was the snake. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's different <laughs> nicknames. So, we, so the rule was the, a nickname. Rule, yeah. A nickname. You cannot make up your own nickname. It has to be bestowed and given to you. Yeah, you Because, don't get to decide. Whereas the Italians were always like, "This is my nickname. Please use it. I'm the shark, or I'm the pirate, or I'm the buffalo. <laughs> I'm the dolphin." It was Pelizzotti, wasn't he? The dolphin. <laughs> There's always animals the as well. The but, dolphin. <laughs> but you got bestowed upon you, gorilla. Well, where did gorilla come from? Who gave... Did you... No, d maybe you made it up for yourself. Did you make it up for yourself? <laughs> Look, uh, shaking, no, shaking. no, no, no. I, 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 well, for sure, David knows. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nick Gates. Uh, oh, I know Gates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think it was... Oh, I know it was 2008. Um, <laughs> and I was quite successful in the Tour Down Under. And uh, he mentioned in the media something like, "Ah, oh, look at him! He's he looks like a like a gorilla, and uh, he has muscles like nobody else has in the bunch." <laughs> and uh, from there on, the media just uh, kept it. And I don't know why it it's it was there the whole time. And, yeah, uh, but no. But, then then yeah. the the brands of the the bikes they started to put me a gorilla. Yeah, on. you got good stuff at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bikes are cool. Yeah, yeah. but. <laughs> I just thought, okay, well, if it's a good uh, marketing side, well, why not? And mm. also, my uh, I saw myself quite quite uh, good in that animal because uh, they look so humble when you see them on uh, on TV. Yeah, when you look at documentation, yeah, yeah. Or something. yeah, it's not a bad nickname. But it was uh, just when you get a bit closer. But <laughs> <laughs> it used to be terrifying in the peloton because everyone, the greatest professional cyclists in the world, you take them off a bike, they don't look like athletes. Apart from they look like, rock, like skinny rock stars yeah. and smaller or jockeys, and it was when you rode behind Andre in the peloton, it was like, oh, what? <laughs> you look like a proper athlete. <laughs> it was like they're like crazy, yeah. And you, but I always found it amazing because your physique was unique. 
it didn't really yeah, fit into that's so true. Andre Greipel looks a little bit like um, absolutely nobody. nobody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally yeah. only one guy who looked like Andre, which comes back to why he was so. Yeah. Sorry, talking about him as if he wasn't here. <laughs> why you were so recognisable? There wasn't anyone like Andre. No. no, physically, quite unusual. Yeah, you know, sometimes uh, I thought I, I would like to be just one time a bit more skinnier and look like a bike rider. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but on the other side, I think w- with the body shape I have, I think I, I like you guys told, yeah. just told, uh, I'm, I'm just not a perfect bike rider from, from the body shape. But I think uh, with that body shape, I, I pretty much did my, the best of, of everything. So yeah. uh, I really yeah. found a sport I, w- I, I, I was dedicated to and uh, – I really enjoyed to do, and um, yeah, did you try other sports? Because you you grew up in Rostock, didn't you? Um, is that I right? Did, I did a lot. I did yeah, uh, yeah football, and uh, so yeah. I could see you playing football. I I was central uh, midfield, defensive midfield, right? Uh, I I don't know what I would have played. Football game no, coming out, defensive. Yeah. He would be a hard Defend. tackling. Yeah. Hard tackling, covering, plus, covering plus the midfield. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you cannot put the balls, uh, the ball between my legs because I have uh, calves. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's no nutmegging on Drake Brightwell. <laughs> exactly. No one gets through him. <laughs> <It> doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So, so a little bit of football and yeah. Well, but I mean, so, I, I kind of did a lot of sports like running and all this yeah. stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah. But cycling was cycling the, was yeah. just a, just my thing and yeah. uh, the the way I found freedom and. Uh, I think it was just my meditation, let's say. Yeah. Huh. It's so funny. That's what I say these yeah. days. It took me years to realize that, yeah. <laughs> that cycling maybe was my meditation <laughs> when I couldn't do meditation. That's why I have to start riding my bike again. To try maybe, and sh- maybe we should just finish by talking just very briefly about Turkey, actually. Yeah. I mean, a lot of your successes in the Columbia, in the HTC years, your first big successes came here, didn't they? I mean, you run, I don't know how many, st- I should know this. I don't know how many stages of the Tour of Turkey you won, but it was a lot. I'm thinking double figures, maybe more than ten. Possibly. I think I have uh, twelve. There we go. Um, mm. okay. But which is what? Which was quite interesting. Uh, I realized today that uh, as a rider, you just didn't care about uh, where you're riding. Mm. You mm. you check the profile, but you just don't have the mindset and also not the the view for the for, cult- for for actually what's the what's cult- going on. The in cultural this. curiosity. Exactly, it's and kinda, yeah. I wouldn't ask the same questions I like I did today. Like mm. uh, that that uh, theater we started today was uh, that looked beautiful. Ex- they television interviewed you. I saw the clip in in front of the amphitheater, didn't they? It was absolutely exactly. beautiful. And uh, that theater was uh, the best in shape theater mm. around um, from everyone in, in Europe. So. It's quite interesting, and as a writer, I think I would not mm. find out about mm. this. Mm. Plus, also that finish in Temesos was the the best protected uh, uh, theater, also because there's uh, was a theater mm. just on top, and for mm. sure from the helicopter you would have seen it. And I really would have liked to to walk up, mm. but then we had to go down by car. But uh, I heard that it's mm. quite uh, insane uh, that mm. there was a city on top. Well, da- so, David, David, yeah. just before we started, I was making my notes before we started commentating. He he walked quickly up to the top and came back down and went. Well, you oh, tell. Well, me, I mean, honestly, I, Andrea went up there and 
I couldn't find it because it's very little signposts. There's, it's, it's the most untourist, touristy destination you'll ever go to. It's not, it's all derelict. And I was going up this little dirt path, had to ask somebody because I couldn't find the entrance to the path. It's a battered down trail to get up there. And then you start to see some ruins at the left and a wooden sign saying the lower walls and gate. And I was like, okay, this is strange. It was like Game of the Thrones, just overgrown with woods. Then you start to get up to the top and it gets the really crown, the saddle of the mountain up there between the valleys at the top. And these, all these beautiful walls, like some of them just, just mind bending. Even today, I was like, how are those bricks, those huge stones so perfect, stone cut and derelict and bits around it? Then you walk through and again, just clambering over stuff. Nothing, nothing's really been cleared. And you just start to see this derelict ancient city that's got little moments where it's all built up. Most of it's just crashed down. I mean, it looks the two and a half thousand years old it is. I think it's 2,000 years since it was done, but you still kind of fight through it all. Then you go up to the sort of top and you're still looking for the amphitheater. So like, how can there be an amphitheater here? It's, you're at the top of the mountain. You've lost your breath. You're scurry, scurrying through everything. And then you get this little plane and there's these beautiful wells that have been dug in. There's a, a plane there. There's another temple, uh, a Corinthian temple. And then again, you have to climb up this sort of stony wall, clamber over, and then you go along and then you come to this, this, the most incredible thing I've ever seen perched on the edge of a mountain, an amphitheater that could sit, I think, five, two to five thousand pe- people and just, it's and it's empty and untouched and it's like uh on uh, a thousand meters uh yes yeah, it's, it's just above 1200 i think 1200 yeah so it's it's insane how they put how that rocks there it, i i just and i for me it's one of the most magical things i've ever seen and i've seen a lot so i was just up there and you're on your own and it feels because how is this why is this here how is this possible what what once was here because you start to go well who were the people that lived here How did they decide to do this? What, what? And it's just, you just leave there a little bit haunted by its existence. So yeah, and that's something you get to do at bike races now, which I could have never done because um, there are the commentary before and was like, and Ned calls it accidental tourism, where it's, screw it, I'm going. I'm going to go up there and check it out. And then you went, after I convinced you, you went up there. Yeah, I went up this evening because I, I wasn't going to miss out on that. That was yeah. special, special, special. And it's a special country, isn't it? And there's a, very close relationship between Germany and Turkey. Uh, historically, post-war, since the, the big immigration, first big immigration wave after the, the war was, particularly to West Germany, obviously, was um, from Turkey, wasn't it? And so the, the two countries are very close. Exactly. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of cities with uh, a lot of Turkish uh, inhabitants, let, let's say. And uh, yeah, also that... Uh, food culture came over um, and everybody loves it like döner no. kebab every but, i think everybody knows it but the döner kebab was in, was not invented it, in turkey it was a german thing yeah right? yeah yeah but yeah. they have it here now also so <laughs> it wasn't so bad but uh, yeah. uh, which which was uh, quite quite nice to know but uh, i mean when i come here and i look the buffet the buffet on the in the hotel it's insane and uh, quite it's quite amazing. nice everybody yeah. everybody i i could eat ev- everything yeah yeah uh, that's yeah. A, i i had no idea from just how good the food was here what's quite interesting mm. as well is that the guy who drove the minibus mm-hmm. from the hotel up to the finish line david you you cuz you you put your bike in the minibus yeah. this morning <laughs> cuz you didn't want to ride uphill no <laughs> which is quite funny. So then you rode back down again, and we'll talk yeah. about that briefly. But 
But he was confused when I put the bags in on the way back that you weren't there and that the bike wasn't there. But what was quite interesting is he looked at me, he doesn't speak English, the old guy, but he said to me, Farad, which is, as you know, yeah. bicycle in German. Ah. So he said, Farad. And I went, yeah. no, no, he's, um, you know, so there is um, a lot of the people here are used to looking after German tourists or they've spent a bit of time in Germany, yeah. you know, themselves. So they've picked up a little bit of German. So um, anyway, how was your ride? How was your ride? It back was lovely. Yeah, it's a lovely descent, and then quite a long valley bit and drop down. It was great. I was averaging like thirty-seven after twenty k's, but then I was using my Garmin and plotted the route, and it. I was anticipating taking the way we came or the main roads. I was yeah. actually quite fine with that. They're then obviously big roads it, though. It, it turned me right and dropped down into the national park. Oh, and I was like literally going the opposite way for a while. Went into the national park and then all the way through those woods, and it started taking me on dirt. Oh. And, I, and I started to get genuinely a little bit nervous because my phone's not working here for some reason. So if you punctured there... Yeah, I'd have been in trouble. But then it came on, then it brought me in through the the <laughs> other end of Antalya all along the coast. And it was incredibly busy. It was amazing. Got to see all of it. And I got some video afterwards of the, the beach, which I'll show you. But yeah, it was a great ride. It was one of those rides where it was lovely. I'm unfit as hell, but it was 33 and a half average because I was mostly downhill. Mm. I was like, felt like, felt like a god. You can be proud of that. <laughs> Thanks, yes, man. <laughs> yesterday I went for a run because I thought, okay, when when I'm here, I also need to to go for a run. And it was so busy; it was like in a yeah, like yeah. like it's difficult running around. Here. I felt like an alpine uh, skier sometimes. <laughs> and uh, today I was actually tired; my muscles were in pain. But I thought, okay, I need to check out the other side. And I went through the old town. Everybody looked at me like, "What the fuck is he doing? <laughs> Why is he running through the old town?" But uh, like, I didn't no, care. Nobody so does that. I just uh, yeah. they they even called me Forrest, and they were laughing <laughs> with me. That's your, that's your just, running nickname. <laughs> yeah, Gorilla for Cycling yeah, Forest. Yeah, it's a, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just really nice, yeah. nice, uh, nice mm. city. And uh, as a rider, you would never, ever see this. Uh, and now I have the time to do that. Well, your life and, begins uh, now. Exactly. You are now officially an accidental you now, tourist. You are now an accidental. Welcome. And it also, how nice it is to be able to buy you a beer. Yeah, exactly. Because that would never have happened. Well, probably not. Probably. Anyway, mm. um, Andre, we've, we've been talking for probably too long. Thank you very much. And, you know, good luck. See you on the road. Are you going to do some commentary? TV commentary? Um, I did it once with uh, Carsten Meagles, the yep, you, I know, Carsten, sure yep. you know him yep. from uh, Eurosport. Uh, I wouldn't mind to do it, uh, but I think there are there are better commentators. We than should get myself. Andre to come do guests for sprint days at the Tour de France. That would be so good. Bring him in. Yeah, yeah. bring him in for with British a, TV. Bring him in with five k to go. I wouldn't mind to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Plus, I think. Uh, I have to sit down. If I do so, yeah. I have to sit down and get to know the new generation yeah. of bike Never riders because still. even yeah. last year, I, it was really hard for me Andre, to find out the names. You have no idea how difficult this race is to commentate on. You have absolutely no idea. And so far, David and I have made an absolute bollocks of it. We have, yeah. <laughs> Let's be it's, honest. Um, it's, uh, I was trying to, I was saying to... Netflix, Not for want to trying, just for deficiency. Said, there's, we just there's two words in English, probably the same in German. Zenith is at the top, and I think Nadir is the bottom. This is the Nadir of We're our the commentating Nadir of a, career. After like seven years of commentating it's together, so hard. we've never been this bad. We've never been this bad. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll leave it there. Thank you, Andre. Thank you, Andre. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 